0: Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. We dive right back into your questions from the subreddit of D&D. We're talking Bloodline Sorcery. We're talking hardware and software recommendations for playing D&D, and we're talking first campaigns. You keep asking, so we're gonna keep answering. Of course, I got with me Jimmy St. James. Hello, Jim. Hello, Eric. How are you? I am well stoned, sir. Excellent. Well, good, because we have some hard-hitting D&D questions from Reddit. That's right, if you head on over to Reddit and go, to reddit slash dnd uh, there is a weekly answer thread and we're taking all of your beautiful questions and we are answering them right here right now and we're just going to jump right into it this one comes from user victor dj 86 what are some recommended magic items for a level 15 jar- draconic i can never remember how to say that word what is it draconic 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 draconic, draconic. Uh, a level 15 draconic bloodline sorcerer the dm will allow us one rare item and three uncommon oh yeah 15 recommendations lever. okay yes yeah, so that's crazy so high right? Uncom-
1: he gets three uncommons uh
0: yes three uncommon Ooh. and one rare item okay I guess, and I, i'm assuming they're getting them all at once uh i mean level 15 how much longer are you going to be
1: playing I guess I don't know. So, well, here's the thing, man. Um, a lot of people don't have the time that I have to play Dungeons and Dragons. I play two, sure. two to three games weekly. I'm playing in one or two, and I'm always storytelling in one, or dungeon mastering in one, and often a second. Not currently, but often. Um, and we'll play for months and months and months in one campaign. But not everyone has time for that. So a lot of people like to play 15th level and then so that sounds like you know you get a couple of cool magic items and then yeah, plays for a few weeks and then yeah so you get yeah. a couple of cool magic items shows like i you know you've uh um you've earned something along the way maybe some wicked cool backstories but i will jump right into things that i think are amazing if you're gonna have like a badass rare item there are so many and it depends how rare I guess just straight up rare which means something like a ring of protection which is always good for wizards but it's kind of yep. boring um, so I was thinking like a staff of power but that's like super rare and the ring there's a ring of shooting stars but that's very rare um, so I think I landed on the rare item that I like the best I like to get more spells if I'm a sorcerer because I don't have that many. I don't have as many as a wizard can have. You know, I don't have as many as a cleric or a druid. It's one of the drawbacks of being a sorcerer. You're no warlock with only, what, four spells or something, but um, you don't have a ton. So like the ring of spell storing, you can put um, five levels worth of spells at a time in here. And so this is really a handy item to have something cool stashed away. So that, uh, if, if you really need to, if you really get stretched, you've got a, a pretty good spell, that fifth level spell always available. And I like to put something in there that, um, that is more of a specialty thing, you know, because I'm probably blowing all my fifth and fourth level spell slots and third level spell slots on things like uh, fireball and ice storm and these really strong spells that are, um, super powerful damage dealers. So, if you go through all those things, then it's cool to have that, you know, second level and third level or fourth level and first level spell. And there's more utility that's in your back pocket if you've run yourself out of those spell levels. So I think Ring of Spell Storing gets a super nod. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think about that one?
0: No, I agree. Like, I feel it's, it's exactly what you said. Like, you just don't have enough spells. You know, like, you're not a wizard. You're not a cleric. Um, but you have the ability and if this ring can grant you five levels was it per, per day or something like that?
1: Uh, no, Jess, it just holds that many so if you use it you could put five more levels in it immediately.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that alone is going to completely change the tide of a battle regardless of where you are because you're unassuming you know, it's you can could, you could store some pretty cool shit in there because the levels are, I mean yeah it's that to me that's a no brainer. Uh,
1: yeah, I like that one a lot. And on the same token, we have Pearl of Power. That's an uncommon item. And you can uh, use your action to speak a command word to get a spell slot back of up to third level. Yep. And, and as but a sorcerer... It's more, again,
0: it's more spells.
1: Yeah, as a sorcerer, those up to third level, those are your bread and butter, those fireballs, things like that. A lot of times you're going to upcast stuff like that, but still having that extra, those extra bang for your buck down there is really good um so those are those are some of the ideas i have for what is his name victor victor dj 86 i mean and if you i you know i i have all kinds of suggestions and i apologize for this i have also all kinds of suggestions for uh um of uh you know rare but, you know, there is another uh, uncommon item I really like very well. It's the Medallion of Thoughts. Because uh, mm-hmm. this this is something that's probably not on your spell list. Uh, I probably wouldn't take it, but you can use your action to detect thoughts on someone. There's also right. a Helm of uh, Detect Thoughts as well. So either one of those, they're both uncommon items. Um, the Helm might look a little silly. Well, I don't know. I think uh, Magneto wears a helmet, doesn't he? And he's more of
0: Right, a... but it's it's usually just to keep out Professor X. Well, what if you're using really it to read people's minds, then you'd still wear it, right? Then you'd be in Cerebral, which is Professor X's it's his like magnifier for his ability. There you go. See there you go. so I think those are
1: cool too. Yeah. So if if you can find an an uncommon item that gives you an ability or a spell that you don't have on your list, those are also really good ways to go, Victor. Yeah, that's I actually think that's a, cool a cool question.
0: That's actually, I think that's a cool item. It's kind of like an out of left field kind of item that I feel like would come in a clutch moment in the game.
1: Uh, yeah, I actually had it had the helm one time as a druid, and so it was really cool. Oh, okay. Uh, Dibble, my my um, panda bear man druid, he <laughs> he used it all the time, especially early on even at high levels to be able to get information that you wouldn't otherwise have the skills to gain information through just by reading minds of commoners or people who might be in the know that aren't that powerful. Uh, I know it's a DC of like 13 or something, but it's still pretty good against commoners or low level people. It's not
0: terrible. It's not great. It's, it's not great. but It's, not it's an fun. uncommon. And item. that was a, I think that was a, I know that story. It's because we interviewed Flint Fizzlebang over at Late Night with Jess and Jam. That's right. We did. Heard that whole story. That was a great story. That's uh,
1: one of the characters that ran with Dibble. That's right. That was a cool game over at the D20 initiative. That was a really cool game.
0: All right. This one comes in from Joe White 3D. Okay, now he's in 3D. 3D, Joe. He is in 3D. I'm looking for some hardware slash software recommendations for running a 5th edition video chat campaign as a DM. I'm using Zoom as the video module. How do I go or how do you convey maps, die rolls, and player locations? Now, one of the reasons I like this question so much is because you have the obvious answer. And then you have the, oh, here's a lot of great other things you can do on top of that. So what is the obvious answer, Jim? Get Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds. It really, yeah, it's Roll20. It really is. You're going to use Skype or what have
1: you for your chat. And it's cool to have video chat. You don't need it, I feel. Um, But on Roll20, the chat on there is garbage at best. And sorry, Roll20, but no one is disagreeing with me except for maybe you um right it has improved over the years but it's nominally and you know we use discord uh as as you know eric Uh, you know um we use discord and i really like the functionality of it having all that stuff there and you can also things that you can do are put bots in there um and i'm sure that if you're using skype or if you're using whatever medium there are add-ons that you can have. There are dice rollers, um, bots that level you up as a person, just little and they're programmable small bots that can do all sorts of things. However, the functionality of these isn't very good in comparison to a um a simulator. You know, and we just came across one called Tabletop Simulator that you turned me on to that I love. Yep. Uh that's a an even better one. If you if you really want to go with that, no, no, we want to make it feel like we're playing at a table. Tabletop simulator is what's up and where it's at. It is
0: yeah, it's, so good. It's exactly it's exactly that. It's exactly how do we create sitting down and playing in real life. And that's exactly what it is when it comes down to the physics, when it comes down to the the types of items that are available, the dice, the cards, coins. I mean, it literally is exactly what you think it is and you can
1: set your table up however you want and make all kinds of stuff on there import things um use your own artwork some of that can be a little yep. bit in depth so it might not be for everyone but luckily we got a couple of tech sag- tech t- easy for me to say take another hit jimmy i'm gonna oh, tech i gotta get savvy. this i gotta get this cotton mouth going
0: here I think that's what the problem is, is you have, you have got to drink water, Jim. Hush. So we have
1: some tech savvy people. That's why I like Roll20 personally, because you don't have to be very tech savvy. There are tons of YouTube videos about uh, Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds that teach you how to use it better. Um, And that's actually something I've considered as doing a couple of programs about how to use Roll20 better since I use, I've been using it for so long. That's a great idea. You should totally do that. So there's a lot of routes you can go 3D. Um, I recommend roll 20. It's the easiest. You can jump right in and start playing almost immediately with very little skill at using roll 20 and learn as you go. You know, each week, maybe watch a little more video or, uh, try one more trick. And by the time you get to the end of a campaign, you're uh, an old pro and the next time you do it, you'll be even better. And I'll tell you right now, you do not need dynamic lighting and all the sound stuff and all of the fog of war. You don't need all that stuff. It's nice to have, but do you have it at home? Shoot, man, I've seen people put post-its notes all over a a, a dry erase map and reveal it as as they go. And it's to me, was that juice worth the squeeze? probably not so you can learn those things as you go man and fog of war is actually a super easy one um but some of the other stuff is so um such a a draw on your system that i don't know if i recommend it because roll 20 is a little bit
0: clunky the way that it runs that's why we don't use the chat so you know, you can, I feel like we I feel like you run into the same issues as you do when you're world building, where it's like you can go so deep down, but how much is too much before like it's not a game anymore. You it, know what I mean? Yeah,
1: before the time invested isn't worth the time we get right. out of it. I mean think about it this way. We're gonna play four hours a week on average at a solid game of Dungeons and Dragons. Four hours. I'm already writing my campaign, choosing stats, augmenting stats, writing storyline, coming up with NPC backstories that I want to portray, coming up with voices and preparing those. I'm already doing more than four hours worth of work on a game that takes less than four hours. So I don't want to do a whole lot more because I don't want to work 12 hours to get three or four hours out of that twelve. Yeah, I have a session. Yeah, and so and I think with the bots, that's a nice way to. Um, if you're gonna play, if you only need a map, let's just say you need a map to show what the area looks like, or you want to show images, that's where your Skype or your Discord's gonna be fine. And if you're gonna do some theater of the mind roleplay, which I am not against, I love theater of the mind. In fact, just, just a. Monday night, we did some Theater of the Mind um, encounters that worked out great. My party had a great time. So yep. you know, don't be afraid of doing Theater of the Mind and then start installing those bots if you're just going to stay minimalist like that. But you will sacrifice some of the, uh, the playability of the game, in my opinion. So do consider Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds.
0: I recommend just doing pen and paper and then just snail mail it to everybody just mm. let everybody know what you're doing through snail mail i play yeah. by play yeah okay a little play-by-play play action yeah this next question comes from hall uh cook coyos coyos paul coyos not coyos hey
1: paul your name's paul. hard to say let us know yeah
0: uh, I'm working on writing my first campaign. I've been asking various questions on these weekly threads lately. That's great. We've been answering them, so thank you for writing lately. them, Paul Hall Koyas. Hall Koy we'll um, we can um, just call I him Hall. I think Paul. it would be... We'll just call him Hall. Paul. Um, I think it would be fun to throw in items that players can obtain that are cursed in slightly inconvenient ways. It is for example, fun. <laughs> one side... <laughs> One of the side quests involves somebody smuggling items. If the players claim the loot from the smuggled cache, they will end up with a cursed item. Are there any resources for existing cursed items or for writing homebrew cursed items? I don't want anything too terrible, but also not so minor that the players will see it as nothing. Gotcha. Okay. So... Cursed
1: items are a little bit of a thing. Um you've got to be creative because there's in fifth edition there's not really a guide. I was gonna say there's not a whole lot. I think there's only a half a dozen items, maybe total, in the Dungeon Masters guide. And then if you get into other books, there's a few more, but not many overall. it's
0: not a big player anymore.
1: Not really. Whereas in we played a lot of third edition, and I mean a lot. Um, there were a lot more cursed items just in the Dungeon Master's Guide. I think there were probably 20 or so, and yeah. even more beyond that. And so the supplements and stuff, yeah. I, if you're looking for a method of creation, 3.5 Dungeon Master's Guide had a nice little chart that had a um, uh, cursed item, kind of like a how-to so you got a delusion, you've got opposite effects, intermittent functioning, reliability, unreliable, dependent, uncontrolled, or a requirement just to use it, um, a drawback. And then there's a whole chart of drawbacks. And then there's a whole chart of specific cursed items. If you're just looking for um, some something to do to get you in the forward motion, something to inspire you. I would look through that 3-5 handbook because it's pretty good. Uh, It is a bit crunchy. There's a lot of information there, but it'll give you a ton of cool ideas to spark your imagination. And then just what I would do if I were um, an aspiring um, dungeon master, not aspiring, that's not the right word, or a a flowering dungeon master, you know, coming into my own. Yeah. yeah, you know, intermediate level and I'm getting into this a little bit more advanced. What I might do is look at the 5 or 6 that are in the dungeon master guide, look at the type of difficulties difficulties that they're presenting, look at the um like challenge ratings they're putting out there and then look over at some other additions and see what they have to offer but don't go with the specific ones so much you might be at overkill you may have to change those dcs because you got to remember in third edition we went all the way up to like a 40 dc whereas in 5e uh 20 plus we don't know we don't know what the
0: we don't know what level they're playing at. We don't know. Correct. Yeah, so the higher those level... Those are definitely things to keep track of.
1: The higher level you go, the less it's going to be a thing. The less... And, you know, you and as a DM, you've seen how these difficulty classes work. So you can kind of eyeball those things. Just don't go with what's in the 3-5 handbook. Um, but there's a few different type of cursed items. The way I look at it, uh, there are the, um, the magic items that... They do what they do and they do it well, but they have an equal and opposite um, curse. So you may have an object that gives you a plus two to your charisma, but it also gives you a minus two to your strength and dexterity. Um, or you may, yep. you may get, you have an item that say, let's say it'll double your uh, strength or dexterity, modifier when you deal damage with a weapon, the corresponding correct weapon however you have to roll with disadvantage when to hit you know these are kind of equal and opposite actions and then there are the, the magic items that just do something heinous sometimes and the bag of devouring is a really good example of that um that's that's in the dungeon master's guide it it has a 50% chance of pulling a living creature into it when you use it. And Oof. <laughs> it's cool. Like for, if you want to get, get a little bit wild, get a little bit crazy. So you can go all the way to like, there's not even a, a DC on that. It's just 50% chance. And you use it. Yeah. It's just a flip a coin. Um, one D two roll one D two. Yeah. There was another bag. The bag of holding is such a popular item. It draws a lot of homebrew attention. I've seen a fellow who made a bag of hoarding that when the bag got so full, had so much weight in it or so much value in it, uh, it acted as a teleportion cha- tel- teleportation chamber to the dragon's horde who made it
0: oh gee oh
1: no <laughs> so you're storing things in your bag of holding and
0: what a terrible gift to give to somebody <laughs> <laughs> man uh,
1: and then you have that's stuff really good. Uh, yeah it's it's funny right then you have stuff like yeah, really like good. the uh, berserker axe that's in the book yeah. plus one weapon that when you use it uh you gain hit points equal to your level but you have disadvantage with any other weapon and you the players go crazy when they use it um that's pretty cool so you don't see there's there's just that's kind of a crazy thing that always happens that's a that's a big curse so you have to be very creative um and then there's the type that the curse is actually a benefit and my one of my favorite ones is the shield of missile attraction in 5e this thing is good it any missile weapon that would target anything I think it's within 10 feet of you it targets you instead so you can protect people by taking that damage the trade-off you know the give-and-take here is that you have resistance against missile weapons so you might take all of them but you're taking all of them at half damage Right. So you can you can create something that's more similar to that. You know. So there there's no 5th edition resource, long story short, but there is a 3.5 resource and a second edition resource. You can even go back to that Dungeon Master's Guide. They have a guide for intelligent weapons in there that's really cool that might offer you some some inspiration, some guidance. But second edition is even uh, a lot more far removed from the way the game works so that would yeah, just be now, simply yeah. for um inspiration although it's pretty easy you know hit me up if you find something in the second edition guide that you'd like to see in fifth edition and I'll I'll stat it out for you
0: i was just going to say that's a perfect that would be a perfect uh next post it's just kind of like a like a kind of bare bones template of how to transfer from like 3.5 to 5
1: uh i could think about that yeah i could think yeah. about that
0: See if there is a Jim, You uh, know what? You go ahead and think about that, and we're going to pop into our last question. All right. Okay. I'll think so about it. So you go ahead and think about it. I'll do that. Right. Later. You let me know. You let me know what you think of it after this bowl. Yeah. All right. Uh, this comes from Pretend Exchange and the number two. So they are not the first Pretend Exchange. They are the second. Pretend. And if you are a programmer, technically they're the third. Pretend Exchange. Okay. That's Pretend a, Exchange. That's a joke that I'll, no one gets. No. Well, I'm sure they think it's funny. Um, how long does it take to turn into a wraith after death? I'm trying to add a wraith as a plot point in my campaign, and I'm trying to make sure that the timeline makes sense. Turn into a wraith after death. All right, plot twist. Um, no, pretend exchange. What? What?
1: No. Oh, pretend exchange. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, man, the did, you hear, did you hear the hit? Okay, junior. Junior. We're just going to call this guy junior. There's interesting things about the Wraith that I'm going to get into a little bit here because I think it's worthwhile. Um, There's no answer for this in the 5th edition books. There's no answer for this, how long it takes, unless you go to very specific Wraiths and other editions. So
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking.
1: So you have some leeway here. Um, The Dread Wraith says that it takes 1d4 turns. So that's not bad. That's pretty cool, actually. Um, there's a, that's one way to look at it. 1d4. That's an easy answer. But it could be until a triggered event occurs. Or it could be until... Because, look, the person dies. And then they. I don't know that they become a wraith in 20 seconds like that. It seems strange to me. But that's just how the dread wraith works, I believe. Um but I have some, like I said, I was going to talk about some useful, interesting in, information because there are lots of different types of wraith. Even in fifth edition, there are two distinctly types, two distinctly different types of wraiths. You've got um, the monster manual wraith, which does not have a body at all. It is more of a um, a shadowy figure, so incorporeal. Then you have Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. And a sword wraith, which does have a body, which is more classic D and D, because originally, did you know, that the original wraith in Dungeons and Dragons, was meant to be an upgraded white.
0: What no? Yes,
1: and even says so in the book. And then even in how how does that work? (laughs) Even in A D and D, it's just a white was a low level um, creature, and we wanted a tougher one. I do that all the time. I want a tougher one of huh. these. I'm just going to give it, make it dire. So a, a wraith is really just a dire white essentially. Ah, it's so weird. So uh, that's even an AD and D yeah. and second edition. Once we get to, I think it's second or third edition, then we start seeing the classic wraith without a body. It's more like a specter or a ghost of some sort. Um, So I just thought that was some neat information that I would share. So there are all kinds of wraiths. What I would do is say, tie it to your story. Whatever storyline you've got going on, make sure there's kind of a trigger there um, that makes it make sense. There is no real answer unless you just say, well, I found a place where it says 1d4 turns or 1d4 rounds. Um, That's good and all, and you can do that. But I find that regardless... If you take that little detail and you tie it to your game to where it makes sense if it happens while some event happens or maybe some curse is spread across the land all of a sudden and then it makes them rise, um, maybe then it's 1d4 rounds um, or whatever the case may be. Because right. wraiths, are they they are souls that won't quit that's what makes them what they are they are they either die like the the sword wraith I think is the one I read all these different races, and now they're all like jumbled up in there but one of them just said like they died in the middle of a fight that they that they swore that they would finish that they swore that they would win and since they died they would never stop fighting um, and that's fucking cool so I think it's worth saying that that happens pretty quickly that they seem to Just carry on. Maybe that 1d4 rounds is a really good amount of time. Whereas, if you come into an ancient tomb, maybe hundreds of people have been in this ancient tomb for a long time, and these souls are restless souls for sure, but it's not until a curse from a nearby wizard or energy from a foul creature infects this place that those wraiths come back. Um, And I think your players will appreciate it a lot more if you do just. Give it a little bit of storyline draw rather than just rolling a d4 just throwing one in yeah, yeah i agree so um i hope that gave you some really interesting ideas about your wraith and how to change them um and as always when we're talking about stuff like this and these magic items it's worth getting into some of those older books and looking at all the information there. sure the uh information is dense or it's an, a system you may or may not understand but if you read the descriptions, there's a lot of good stuff there where 5th edition is – I know they're talking about 6th edition already, which almost disgusts me. Uh, How crazy is that? But yeah. when we're just almost finished putting 5th edition together, let alone polishing it up, but they, I don't think they want to get to the, to the, um, the bulk of material that was out there for 3rd edition that, that drove so many people crazy. I, I mean, I don't know why it drives people crazy because you don't have to use it all.
0: But it does, and marketing and everything else. But yeah, I don't. I feel like it. it the, the The dirt hasn't settled yet. You know what I mean? Like, has it been seven years? The holy cow! Has it been seven years? I think so. Oh huh, yeah. No, give me all right. Yeah, give me sixth edition. I'm good. Let's do it. <laughs> You're ready. Thanks for listening to this episode of the D&D 420 podcast. For everything D&D 420 related, check out dnd420.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at dnd420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at d and 420. We will see you next week.